Great to meet you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hello and welcome to the Perfect Strangers Podcast. My name, of course, is Furby Montano, otherwise known as Chubby Elvis. And as always, I want to thank you for joining me today. This week on the show, we have something a little bit different. Uh, we have a guest by the name of Amanda Gunnels. Now, Amanda is a musician. Uh, she lives out in California. And funny thing is, I've actually met Amanda in person. However, outside of the one or maybe two times that I've met her in person, other than that, our only interaction has been through social media. So it's a bit of a different type of stranger where it is technically someone that I have met in person, but I don't know her for the most part outside of, you know, DMs and comments and that type of stuff. Now, she is a super talented musician. She plays at piano bars all across the western part of the country. Um, she goes by her own solo project called My Dear Wendy, which is fantastic. She's a great songwriter, great pianist. Um, just an all-around great musician and someone that I truly respect and look at with total admiration that she is she's doing it. She's she's a working musician, which is so cool to see. The conversation with her was really awesome. Uh, I got to know her on a little more of a personal level, which was super cool. And yeah, it was it was just great talking to her. I, I would love to have her back on the show at some point uh, because she is uh, just an all-around really cool person that I, I, I really enjoy uh, enjoyed getting to know a little bit better. So I don't want to waste any more of your time. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy Amanda Gunnels. And thank you so much. But uh, Amanda Gunnels, hi. Welcome Hello. to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. You want to uh, tell people kind of a little about you if they don't know you already? Well, um, like I said, my name is Amanda, and I work as a performer, mostly in dueling pianos, and I also work with songwriting and recording, and whenever I release original music, I go by My Dear Wendy, so those things can be separate, and um, yeah, I live in San Diego now, been all over, and like I said, started in LA, but ended up moving across the country a couple times and made it back to San Diego. <laughs> You're, you're like me. I've been yeah. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good though. Good to see a lot of stuff. What, uh, what made you settle on San Diego? Well, I had been wanting to come back to California for a while. Like when I, when I first left LA, it was to start my dueling pianos career and had never really planned on leaving. But that's just kind of how it worked. And then from there, just kind of how the job ended up progressing. I, you know, I moved to Phoenix, then moved to New Orleans, then moved to Nashville. And I loved Nashville, probably would have stayed, but the piano bar there ended up closing because someone bought the lease from us. Yeah. So then I was like, you know, I, I've missed California ever since I left. And since that was never really a plan, I was like, well, I should go back and at least either move back permanently or go back and be like, is this, you know, nostalgic or do I want to live here kind of thing sure um and I wasn't quite sure about Los Angeles anymore so I thought oh I'll just go I'll go to San Diego like there's there's a lot of piano work around here so yeah you, you seem to be like killing it 
of a dueling <laughs> piano game. Like you're like everywhere, man. It's awesome. It's cool to see. Yeah, it's every every weekend. So I've been really lucky to to just kind of constantly have work, which is nice. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, how long have you been playing piano for? Since I was a kid, maybe seven or eight, okay. I think. Did the classical training things all through up till high school, and then. I had heard about MI and I was like, mom, can I please move to California and do this rock and roll thing? And she was not super happy about it, but <laughs> did it anyway. My, mine was equally as uh, unhappy about it when I said that. So yeah, I, I feel you there. <laughs> Were you in New Mexico then before you went to MI? Or? Yeah. Yeah. I was born and raised in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And then, uh, yeah, MI, I, I originally went to like the whole four year route. And mm-hmm. it just wasn't for me. And just being honest, I, I stopped going to class. So yeah. they asked me not to return very, uh, not nicely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, that's kind of how MI started. So yeah. you, you're from uh, like the Atlanta area, right? Mm-hmm. Just south of the, the city, Atlanta. I love Atlanta. Noonan. Like, oh, I've driven through Noonan before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's right off the highway. So I guess anyone traveling um to Florida or somewhere around Atlanta has been through it. Very little cool. suburb. And you wouldn't you didn't think about going back to Georgia? No. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately no. That was the quickest no I've ever got. <laughs> no, uh it was a good town to grow up in, but it's just it, you know, there's nothing there really career wise for me to go back. Even in Atlanta, you know, there's a lot of music scene there but it's just not really what i've been doing so atlanta's music scene has really changed too it's very very wild like it used to be very like diverse and then now i feel like it's very one-tracked from everything i hear from atlanta yeah i haven't even honestly known like i think the last big genre that came out of atlanta was trap Mm -hmm. music because that was huge you know trap and like hardcore that was what we had, you know, <laughs> rap and screamo. That's it. <laughs> and then, um, you know, there was always the acoustic, like I think in like later in high school and stuff, I would do acoustic gigs at different bars, but I was always opening for some crazy screaming rock band. I was like, this is like not going to work. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so like, I don't even know what the scene is like there now. Right. So what, uh, what took you to like New Orleans and Nashville and all that? What made you move around so much? Just the the jobs or the jobs the dueling piano thing like you know I, I kind of stumbled into it and I think it was the perfect job for me you know like I had been doing cover bands and not really ever sure like all right I want to make a living as a musician I can always do studio stuff but it kind of just went that direction so I had moved to Phoenix and not long after I moved there the club that we worked at shut down so um like I said it's just it's the same as any other part of the music industry it's temperamental and can change so I wasn't like a huge fan of living in Phoenix so when it closed I was like "Mm, no I'm gonna leave and I was gonna come back to LA at that point but then someone I had met said that they were hiring piano players in New Orleans on Bourbon Street Mm -hmm. and I was like well I've never been I mean I had been to New Orleans but not really been there you know and I was like well that's a cool opportunity to work and play on bourbon street so i was like all right i'll go there you know why not i've already left la so i guess the only thing i can do is to keep following this so i went there 
um, worked for about a year and a half and was kind of like, okay, it's not like, like, it's a really, really cool city, a lot of history there, but living there is very difficult. It's the fucking worst, isn't it? Yeah. We live, we live there at the same time. So, oh, yeah. I remember I'm, I'm, a, I'm amazed we never actually ran into each other because I used to play on bourbon a lot and I used to play on Frenchman all the time. So, I'm, yeah. I'm amazed we never ran into each other there. Oh, yeah. I remember because, like, at one point you reached out, you're like, Do you live here? And I was like, Yeah, do you live here? And you're like, Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. But I think that was part of it. You know, I, you know, they weren't totally upfront about what my hours would be. And I was working, you know, they work you to the bone there. Like it's a lot different than what I expected. So, I mean, six, seven days a week I was working. And so I don't, I didn't ever really had like a social life there. So I think that's what got to me after a while. I was like, you know, I'm in this city, but I'm literally just working like every single day and bourbon street gets to be very taxing to just be there all the time. So yeah that was it (laughs) i see my thing with with the music scene in new orleans because i was in a shitload of cover bands there that's basically Mm -hmm. all i did i felt like i was playing the same like 17 songs every single night yeah and it just got like there's only so many times i can play all about that bass right (laughs) (laughs) like uh like some of those big songs because we we come across that sometimes like i mean we have obviously got like the don't stop believing piano man um but that's what took me away from cover bands exactly that that i was like oh the set list doesn't really change yeah um i was just like yeah that was it's tough tough city to live and work in everything's falling apart (laughs) also yeah new orleans was (sighs) Yeah, I, I I did not enjoy living there at all. It was it was uh the disparity of like poverty and wealth was very hard for me to like see on a regular basis. And it wasn't like yeah. it was hidden either. It was like No, it's there. Like that was the first time I think I had genuinely seen that kind of poverty just out like that was it like you know and it's hard to explain that to some people that haven't been there or if they go they're not in those areas and it's like no these are entire neighborhoods that are still run down from Katrina Mm -hmm. you know and there's no gas station in some like you know the with the lower ninth or something there's no gas there's no groceries there's nothing nothing and then you drive over to like the garden district and you've got these million dollar mansions you know it just it was really bizarre to see that. And then I started to kind of understand why the attitude of a lot of the locals is so like, they're like, it's Southern hospitality, but they're not like super nice, but I get it. Yeah. They, you know, people there were very like, it, it was almost like clickish. Like yeah. If you weren't from there. You weren't from there. Like you're not going to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, I stopped I'm, telling people I was moved, had been in LA because it seems to even oh, now consistently yeah. be like, oh my God, California. And I'm like, but I live here now. Like, it's not. <laughs> the number of gigs I didn't get because I said I went to music school was insane in that city. You'd say, yeah. I would say music school, and they'd be like, oh, now we're going to go with someone else, like almost like on the spot. It was weird. Yeah, that. And it was just like, you know, if you didn't like growing up with the culture, like I, you know, it's so cool. And I loved it. And I was like, obviously, I don't have that kind of ingrained music that they have there. And I think that's what makes it special. But 
yeah, I definitely heard back from, you know, about it, you know, it kind of telling me that I would never get it. And I was like, I know, but like, I'm still, <laughs> you know, do it. <laughs> do you ever get looks from people when you say you live there? They're like, oh, you lived in New Orleans? And you're like, nah, it wasn't what you think. And they're like, what? Yeah, I always, I always feel kind of bad. Like I said, it's funny, even like when you mentioned it, I was like, I don't remember if you said you liked it. So I'm going to tread lightly here. <laughs> um, yeah, everyone's, everyone seems to love New Orleans. And I was like, you know, you love it because you go and you visit and you get drunk on Bourbon Street and it's fantastic. It's one big party. And, mm-hmm. but when you live there, you see the underside of that. Like you said, like people living in poverty, literally making $200 a month if and that. just kind of, if the, if that, and like, yeah. you know, squatting and that's like, that's just their life. And seeing the trash that builds up, you know, and mm. like I said, like, all the buildings I'm surprised even stay standing half the time. You know, there's just, there's rats everywhere. Well, the one that the fucked me up was that I, I curse. If you don't want me to just please say, no, you're happy to not. But, um, <laughs> well, first week is I was there with my fiance. Uh, she was my girlfriend at the time we moved there so she could go to law school. And, um, we, we were on Tonti street right off of like, not Claiborne or something. I don't know where, but right on Tonti Street. And um, that the second night we were there, we watched a documentary on HBO that was about Katrina. And the first mm-hmm. thing they said was like, "Yeah, we didn't think it was that bad." And then I turned the corner and went to Tonti Street, and there was like twenty feet of water. I was like, "Oh, cool!" So just you know, literally where I am right now. That's that's fun. Yeah. And then I also saw a house that was like pretty much in, it was very obvious that Katrina had ruined this house mm-hmm. and they had the spray paint with like the circle, the line through it. And then like the tally. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? They were like, Oh, well that's where how many people died in that house. I was like, Oh my fucking God. Really? Yeah. Like and I have to look still, at this every day. Yeah. It's still on the buildings. Like that's what blew my mind. I saw a couple of houses like that. And I was like, this was what? 15 years ago yeah. or something like almost. And they still have these on the houses. Like, you know, it just, it kind of blew my mind that that was it. And it flooded. Were you there when it flooded again? It wasn't even a hurricane though. It just rained, but all the storm drains were blocked up. Yeah, I was there. And I don't know if it got on the news, but I was at work that day and I was like, Hey, I gotta go move my car now because all of a sudden the water was coming in from outside, like coming into the bar. We were like, turn everything off, get the, get the cables off the floor. Like, all of a sudden it was literally coming in and I was like, Oh my God, I'm parked. Like I need to move it to the neutral ground. Like I got to go. Um, yeah. And it flooded like it did like some like mid, was it mid city flooded yeah, mid city was really bad to their waist and it wasn't even a hurricane. And I was like, yeah, it might be time for me to <laughs> not do this. I remember when that happened, we had moved. So we were uh, off of St. Charles on like pine street area, kind of by um, Camilla grill. Okay. And, um, our house luckily was like 14 feet above sea level. So we never really got flooding there, but we had looked at a house in mid city that we saw on the news while that was going on. Oh we're my like, God. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> Happy we didn't move there. God. Yeah. It's just, I can't even, like I said, and it, it just takes so long to clean stuff up. They don't really, you know, it floods and like, Oh, sorry. Like there's not a lot of effort really to help clean it. I guess I never, I never kind of saw that kind of community rally kind of help. I had a friend of mine um, who him and his wife and at that time they had one kid, his wife was pregnant with their second. 
um, the first day they moved there, they got into a house, they were unpacking, whatever. He wakes up the next morning and there was a dead body on his front door, front porch. Oh my God. So, or not his front porch, his front lawn, excuse me. But oh. apparently someone had just driven by, dumped a body and took off. So he walked out and just. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, well, let's get out of this house. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. He was another one that was very like, uh, as soon as the day I graduate, I'm out of here. So. Yeah. Yeah. It really is one of those cities like, you know, and I, I actually, I know a couple people that have moved there and they love it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I think it just takes that type like, that is the city where you have to be like, like you love it, all mm-hmm. of it. And that's it. And otherwise it's just not, not the place. <laughs> what, what was that? What was Nashville like? How'd you enjoy that? That city? I liked Nashville. I think it was kind of a breath of fresh air because I went there right after New Orleans and it was kind of the point where like I got, I was trying to save money to move again uh, in New Orleans and like kind of line things up. And I, I literally got to the point where I like, I quit my job and I was like, I'm leaving. And they're like, do you have anything set up? And I was like, nope, I don't care it's how much I hate this. <laughs> um, and I was like, I guess I'll just, I wasn't going to go to Nashville, but um, I had met actually another piano player that was like, you know, we talked about my songwriting and what I was doing. He said, there's a really great piano bar in Nashville and it's a great songwriting town. He's like, you're right here. Why don't you go? And I was like, yeah, that's true. You know, at this point I'm on this side of the country now. So I was like, all right, yeah, I'll go. Um, And I loved it. I mean, I pretty much kind of got right in. I called the piano bar the second day I was there and I was like, Hey, can I just come in and like meet you guys and maybe sit in play a couple songs. Uh, so I went in said, hello, I played a couple songs and I'm like, yeah, we'll get you on the schedule like during the week coming up. So Ooh. it worked out really well. And um, a couple of the guys that were players were so like, that's a place where you really feel like, you know, it can take some time to break in, but if you get the right people, like everyone's kind of wanting to help each other. Yeah. So one of, one of my coworkers was like, Hey, if you want to, you know, meet, meet the people, the, you know, the right group come to these jam nights. And that's kind of the who's who of who works in Nashville and kind of put yourself in the pot. They're always looking for keyboard players. So I did that. And, um, I don't know, like I, I did really like Nashville. I was super bummed out when the piano bar closed there. Yeah, it sucks. Was it, yeah. was it sold to like a developer or? Yeah, it was like, uh... And it was, uh, we were on the second floor, but we were above this place called Paradise. I think it was called Paradise Park. Now it's been a few years, so I can't really remember. But it was like, you know, that was a very big place to play. Um, locals knew it, you know, like a very established, well-known, I mean, kind of like all the honky-tonks out there, like right. are starting to get bought up by celebrities and millionaires and they're just taking everything away and making it these new, you know, celebrity bars and, um you know, that's, it's kind of, memorable. I played a couple of those, but it was very similar to playing on Bourbon Street. So that was kind of when I decided to leave, like I said, a lot of my income is dueling pianos anyways. So sure. and staying out there wasn't, I like, you know, I love the culture. I love the people and I had some really good friends. I just didn't see it quite being as sustainable at the time kind of unfortunate how cities like that like i i lived in austin so it's a very 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 similar story to nashville where mm-hmm. like rich a lot of people with a lot of money came in and 
completely gutted everything that made it that city you know yeah it was unfortunate it's kind of the reason we decided to move we're like well it's getting really expensive it's not really the city that i loved when i moved here so Mm -hmm. i think i'm gonna go ahead and get out of here peace out yeah yeah, I've heard that Austin, of course, everyone always blames. They're like, everyone from California is coming and ruining their city. I'm like, I don't think so. I was like, I moved there because I liked what it offered. Mm. You know, I liked that, like the community sometimes is, is still kind of a small town. Like right. I felt that, you know, everyone kind of knew each other. And once you get connected, they're like, oh, let's come to this songwriters around here. Like, hey, let me jump on this record here. Like everyone was kind of that and that felt really great um but yeah like a lot of it was starting to go away i was like well i don't want to get paid 50 dollars for a three-hour shift like that's ridiculous yeah you know i can't work you can't make any money like that and it sucks to be in a city that's so well known for musicians you know and seeing that happen i was kind of like guys like you could totally revolt this like (laughs) without the bands nashville would not be nashville so yeah, unfortunately, there's always someone that would come to replace, not, not to replace them, their talent, but would play for free or play for less, you know? Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what happened to L.A. too. And it just LA. sucks to see it happen other places now. The number of times that I would try to get a gig in L.A. and they'd be like, all right, well, we need 200 bucks and you got to sell tickets. I'm like, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to pay to play at your venue. That's That's not... Yeah. And they're like, you're going to promote it. You have to sell 50 tickets. I'm like, I don't have 50 friends. Like, and I, it's not like I have fans. I'm just starting. (laughs) I know. I got, I got lucky that I had people at MI who could get gigs without having to pay. Yeah. I was also in a band with a couple of really rich kids whose parents would just pay. (laughs) That helps. But uh, yeah, yeah, LA just, that, that was not my scene. I'm, I'm also a big guy. Like LA is not big guy friendly at all. So <laughs> yeah. When, when you're on stage as a big guy, it's uh it's it's a very different kind of city. <laughs> I guess I never thought that much. It's, I know I always knew the list of places that you didn't necessarily have to pay or like give tickets or the places that were worth it, like hotel cal- or hotel cafe. Mm-hmm. That was always like cool. And actually the piano bar that was on Selma. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to pay to play there. I guess, and it was probably the coolest venue. Like, I loved that place. They had best music. It just cool hangs. And I got to do a few gigs there. But it got bought out by some hotel thing. And it's gone now. <laughs> I actually played a few gigs at the House of Blues. I was on Sunset. But yeah. RIP House of Blues. Right. It's Sunset. gone too. <laughs> I know. But uh, I actually like played not often, but like a good amount of shows there. Yeah. But, uh, and, and it was for like, like, you know, Hey, we need a band to open. Do you, will you guys do it? Or that type of thing. Like it was, it was always yeah. very like spur of the moment, which was super cool. That is cool. Yeah. I, I never got a chance to play their stage. I think I did a couple acoustic shows in their little mid level, like that little bar lounge area. Mm-hmm. One that was um, upstairs. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like, so but yeah, now I guess it's, it's gone and, Viper Room's getting knocked down. I don't know if you saw that. No, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's too bad. Yeah, Viper Room was probably my favorite. Yeah, I love most, the Viper like, Room. Most iconic rock room, you know. I love the Viper Room. I made some very, like, distasteful videos there about River, <laughs> about River Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Sorry. 
things that don't age well. <laughs> yeah. I, I Have you ever seen some shit that you like posted 10 years ago or whatever? And then you're like, oh, I'm gonna go ahead and delete that. Yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't need to exist anymore. Yeah. The good old Facebook, you know, memories. Here's what you posted 10 years ago. I'm like, please don't. <laughs> oh, my God. We didn't know very much about the internet then. (laughs) My favorite ones that I did is I would be so melodramatic when I was like 18. Right. So I was totally the one that would be like, when it was like still Furby is, and then you had to fill out. Mine was always, I had numerous times like Furby is whatever, just done, whatever. Don't ask about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have those. And, um, you know, the emo kid phases of just putting you know, song lyrics up, super vague, but definitely suggestive. Like I'm moody today. Like this is my song lyric. <laughs> you an emo kid? Yeah. Were you? I didn't quite go as far as like, you know, the crazy scene hair and all the stuff, but definitely a band t-shirt. All right. Kinda... Did you ever write like RAR, the R-A-W-R? <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> or the, oh, is it Pwned? Pwned. 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 There was the, what was the like smiley face with the X with the capital D? You ever see that one? I don't know if I saw that one. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it in the chat real quick so you can <laughs> see what I'm talking about. When people would do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what that was supposed to mean, but. I think I it's just it like everywhere. the, so now like with the emoji, it'd be the one with the eyes like closed and like. Ah. Uh, okay. That makes sense. I think, I mean, that's kind of what it looks like, I guess. Emojis really changed the game, didn't they? Yeah. When did when did emojis start coming out? I, I feel like it was like right around the time iPhone three came out. I think so because I when did I get them? Because I remember you I was used in, to buy them, right? Like you had to yeah. buy emojis for a long time. Yeah, I think I was. It was when I was in LA because I used to call them emojis, and they're like, "That's not what it's called." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, um, God." 20 2011 11 oh, I was gonna say 2012 I was close yeah <laughs> emojis took off in the U.S. when Apple added it to the official keyboard on 20 in 2011 hmm. and Android followed wow Android didn't have them till 2015 oh really whoa Android what's up wow I mean that's a solid four years later <laughs> wow huh where'd it go Samsung these no offense to use No, no, no. I've seen your blue bubble. You have an iPhone. I got I'm blue bubble. <laughs> <laughs> you ever found yourself silently judging someone for having a green bubble? I was literally just about to say like silent, silent judging. Yeah. Like, Even though I, <laughs> there was one guy, he's super tech, like IT guy, but so he said something about like Apple and Google and like, I, we're not like friends. It was just someone that was uh, talking. So I didn't know. I was like, I don't know which one he asked. I was like, anything Google does, Apple does better. And he just like side-eyed me and was oh, like, no. I use Google. And I was like, oh, I stand no. by what I said. Those Good IT guys, those IT guys, you cannot bring up Apple being better than Google, Microsoft, nothing. Yeah. I, wor- <laughs> I worked for Samsung for a long time. And uh, a lot of those like tech guys, that would be their their day jobs when they were trying to get their IT business up, they would work mm-hmm. for Samsung. Man, they were like religiously against Apple. Everything Apple it was crazy. Yeah. So I guess didn't quite realize, but I was like, I still stand by what I said, man. I was like, Apple's so easy to use. What's your What's your emoji of choice? Because everyone has them. Um, I like the little smiley face with the hands. 
I could see that. I, I don't I don't know you outside of like the internet, but I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> mine, I'm trying to see what my like top used ones are. Let me see. I have my number one one is a cowboy with a smile. Nice. <laughs> I don't even know why. <laughs> then the next one is a dagger. Huh. Okay. All right. Sometimes I think it puts random ones like in my favorites box. Yeah. I'll see one. And I'm like, I don't use that emoji, Apple. Like, what are you <laughs> adding some random thing? Someone's going to ask me what I'm doing. I-, I meant to ask you the tattoo on your arm. Um, is that like a certain piece of music or is it just? Yeah. It's a whole um, I think It's a Bach invention. Um, I still haven't quite decided if it's 15 or 25 because um, it's on a pillow that I got from my grandmother's Okay. and it's like a super like the writing on it it's like all the swirls and you know I know it's a Bach piece but it's like a it's one of those old-fashioned numbers that could be a one or a two okay um, but yeah it's a Bach invention like I said it's a pillow that I got from my grandmother you ever tried to play it no I probably should yeah I don't even know if it's Act, like totally accurate that it's like very creatively written <laughs> and um but yes yeah, so i don't know i could try it because I, I could look it up and see which one looks close to it that's it <laughs> that's it first musical performance in the history of no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> cool so um, what was i i always ask people because i had i don't know if you know dave hirsch who went to mi um i think so name sounds familiar canadian guy um but I had him on the show yesterday. Um, I was asking him, what was like your best memory of MI? So I'm going to ask you the same thing. What was like your best memory of MI? Hmm. And it's been, at first now I'm like, it's been a long time. I'll tell you. Uh, uh, it's been 10 years since I graduated. I can't believe that. Like, 10 uh, fucking years. I really can't believe it. It's like what I remember now. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just enjoyed the experience and, you know, and I, some of my closest friends are people that I met there and we've stayed friends, even though we all go across. And I guess something I really enjoyed was the LPWs because I hadn't, you know, I was classically trained. So I knew theory and I knew playing, but I had never really done the rock and roll band thing. Like that was definitely what I wanted to do, but I just had, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience or learning that. And I think I met most of the people that I ended up playing with during those because you go in you play the song and you're like cool this is my band <laughs> and uh, I don't know I always enjoyed those like I would go and just like hang out for a couple of hours you know Same. play play a couple times because they always needed keyboard players anyway so it's kind of post up for an hour <laughs> which one was your favorite one to go to modern rock modern rock yeah See, I didn't I didn't do modern rock very often I don't I don't remember the guitar teacher who did it but I remember we played a Foo Fighters song one time and he like ripped me a new one and it totally <laughs> discouraged me. I like it never went back. I was like, oh, he's so fucking mean. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that was kind of my genre of music. You know, of course, now I look back and I'm like, maybe I should have branched out and done the ones I wasn't as good at. You know, I kind of picked like, yeah, I'm, I'm a rocker. You know, I'll do the rock stuff. I want that's what I want to get good at. Um, and it worked out and it was great. And I think towards my last semester, I started going to some of the other ones and checking it out. Um, but I was never a great jazz like pianist. So 
I'd see people like, you know, and I was like, mm. <laughs> no, thanks. Was it, was it the same? Because obviously I don't know much. I can obviously see when someone's good at piano, but I don't know when someone's like fantastic or media or intermediate or what have you. Um, yeah. Was it the same thing like guitar players where you would walk through and you could hear people and you'd be like, whoa, who's that? And watch them for a little while. I think so. Like, I always liked to hear people were jamming out and like doing like, I don't even remember. Like, I don't know. When I hear a guitar, I like the groove, like kind of funk guitars. Like, so whenever I would hear those, I'd be like, that's cool. I want to listen to that for a sec. Was it the same with like the, because I know the piano labs were kind of closed off, right? Like you guys mm-hmm. just had your own. Could you like hear people playing in different rooms and stop and watch them or? Yeah. And that was cool. Like, that was kind of the interesting thing of the keyboard program at the time was still, I think it was still very new. Like my first semester, there might've been like 15 people or 20 people. I don't know. It was still, maybe there was more, but it was just a very new, they were still figuring out how to make the keyboard program what it is now. And I think, I think even now they've separated it. So I'm really glad that I had it when I did. Um, But you had people from all different types of players. You had, jazz guys that were coming in you had a couple classical people that would come in like just crazy i'd hear them playing like the craziest pieces you know like beethoven i'd be like wow like i played classical but it wasn't that like i was like average you know (laughs) um and then you had like you know a lot of r&b people that came in with that kind of experience which was really cool like i hadn't really been around that approach to keyboards you know, and so I, that was cool to kind of watch. I'm like, oh, like, I didn't know I could make those chords, or you know what I mean? Like, just the styles were all different. The R and B stuff—they do a lot of inversions, right? A lot of inversions, um, which I loved listening to. That was another thing I had to kind of work on and learn. And you know, it's like because my background was just you know very vanilla, and I was like, I want to be cooler. I want to learn the cool stuff. <laughs> um, but I. I I enjoyed that, you know, and like at the time, the keyboard, we had all of the live classes, like we had the theory, we had groove, um, you could take rock keyboards, but we also had logic classes where we would learn how to program synthesizers within the computer. So that was something that I benefited from. I'm still a little old school and I like to build my synths from my synth, Mm -hmm. but that class was, I learned so much about recording and engineering that I don't think, I think now you have to choose between the live and the studio. Oh, really? That's shitty. Mm-hmm. Then at the time I had both, you know, we got to learn logic, which has helped me immensely in recording my own music now. And I learned programming and making kick drum sounds and all of that fun stuff. Yeah, they, they gave us one semester of that for the guitar class yeah it was, it was like me one other guy and then the teacher who my teacher was ernesto which ernesto is a fucking genius he is such a good producer yeah but, uh, <clears throat> he would get so mad at me because i'm i'm the type of person that if there's like a mistake i like to keep it in because i feel like it humanizes the music a little bit and mm-hmm. uh he was absolutely not about that <laughs> at all so there was one where i finished my solo and you heard me going like, ha, 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 like in the background, me laughing. And it picked it up on the mic. Uh, and he heard it and he goes, oh, take that bullshit off. Take that bullshit off. I was like, no, 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 keep it in. And he was getting so like 
every time we would replay it, you could just see his like a little vein in his head, just like, no, please just let me get rid of it. Please just let me get rid of it. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm surprised. I wondered if the other programs had access to that because I know my second or third semester was when they introduced the independent artist program. Mm. And so I think that's when things started to change. A lot of people were surprised that that wasn't the program I did because I was so in that like singer songwriter stuff and like learning to record my own things. And I was performing, you know, my dear Wendy. And so a lot of times people ask like, Oh, you did the independent artist artist program. And I was like, no, no, actually I didn't. I was in the keyboard program at the time because I had already started it and we kind of got everything that they ended up putting into the independent artists outside of the promotional stuff learning, you know, like we had like every semester I had a logic course, you know, we learned all the, like how to open it. And I, I don't know if that was because at the time keyboardists were like, that was when like a lot of that technology was starting to become more prominent and it was kind of on the keyboarders, keyboarders, keyboardists to be like track the track person or like the music director that on stage that had access to all the synth sounds that were coming out at the time. You know, we had to do like Kesha with 20 stacks of synths, <laughs> you know, I had to figure out a way to do that on one keyboard. So that, that was the first thing I noticed when I got to MI is how much keyboard players actually do. Cause I was a, I was like a total like metalhead and country guy. So there wasn't a lot of keyboard stuff I mm-hmm. played. And, um, when I started doing the hip hop and the R&B LPWs, I had no idea how much of the music was created by the keyboard. Like I, mm-hmm. that was the first time I had ever been in like a guitar was just like literally part of the band. It wasn't like up in front and center, you know? Right. It was wild. I had like so much more respect for you guys after that. Like, <laughs> you guys are good for you guys, man. Yeah. There's a lot to it, you know? And like, I remember like when I first started doing cover band stuff after school, like, and that's kind of when a lot of what I learned kicked in. Cause I think MI was really great about getting you all of the info and then it kind of shoots you out into the world. Like, okay, go. And that was when a lot of it started to really make sense. And so like programming sense and stuff, because I was keyboarder for a top 40 cover band in Vegas. And I can't even, I mean, that was three or four hour set lists that I was programming almost 200 songs for and I think it took me about a week to get my keyboard programmed to get all the sounds just like in the right spot at the right time and like create the songs I had everything like just right in this little board to have it ready to go for all the set lists and stuff and I was just like wow like this is (laughs) you know be nice to just come in and play for the for the resume for playing for Kesha now it has to be like engineer (laughs) yeah i mean you'd have to be able to run um of course now everyone was running like main stage and logic but ableton kind of took over and i don't run ableton so i think that was when i started to kind of bow out Mm. from some like they were doing a lot of keyboard auditions around the time i was graduating and i I did a couple of them um you know i didn't get them but you know they were great experiences too because then i could see kind of how to audition, what to prepare. But that was when it started to really become heavy on running Ableton. And I was still very much like, yeah, I can run a track, but I prefer to program as much as I can in the board itself. 
And I was like, I'm not keeping up with some of this. <laughs> do you, uh, do you have a program like backing tracks for your stuff? I have, but I haven't done it in a long time. Like I think, cause I stopped playing my own music live. Really? That mm -hmm. just kind of started to take a back seat when I started performing for work, it became a lot. Um, so I haven't like, but when I played in Vegas, we did backing tracks to everything, but we had them on, we didn't have them on Ableton. We had them, I think it was like on an old iPad or something. And we would just play. That, that was like the thing back then though, like putting it on an iPhone and just, okay, let's not fuck up, go. Right. <laughs> yeah. If it, if something got messed up, it was like, we had to really play it off. Like I was, I had to be like, oh, sorry, I'm a keyboard player. I'm fucking up right now. My bad, guys. They're like, well, stop doing it. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> how, were, how were those Vegas gigs? I'll let you, that was a trip. It was a trip. I get, like I said, it was all like a really great experience. I'm glad I got to do it. You know, um, I probably wouldn't do it again, but I'm really glad I did. Because I said so coming into MI, I really had no idea what being a professional musician would be. I, I wasn't the kid that came in and said, I want to be a famous touring musician or I want to work for these people or I I want to do this i was like i don't know tell me how to make a career and i'll just try it out so i tried all the things and cover band was one um i loved it you know we had a great group of musicians we had a really good time i started and it was um blake pedrero was our bass player when we started and suvi do you remember suvi now i can't remember her last name she got married so i don't know her i can't remember her name the name sounds familiar but yeah but maybe the, if i saw a picture i would remember yeah and she's doing really well now i think she's still in la but we all started and then like blake went on to play for um who was the person like i think played for miley for a bit and then played for it was the artist that was featured on the big chain smoker song before they got super famous oh um palsy no no the one before okay. that then I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, shoot, what was it? But um, really cool situation. And then after Blake left, it was Nicole Rowe, who's now playing for Panic at the Disco. Yeah, I, I actually played in a band with Nicole too. My yeah. very first semester there, um, we had uh, Jamie Finley together for, um, oh, what was it? Um, Harmony and Theory and Ear Training. Mm -hmm. And uh I sat next to her and we played together. It wasn't like a very long time, but we, we stayed in touch. And I remember when I saw her with Panic at the Disco, I was like, dude, oh my God, that's so awesome. Right. Man. I think that's like the coolest thing, like looking, like coming out of MI. I think that we've really had a good era of players too. I mean, there's so Absolutely. many people that I've seen now that I was like in school with. And some of them have been like friends I've stayed in touch with and some people like Nicole and I stayed in touch for a little while, but you know, as I moved and things kind of fell out, um, we just kind of text updates like, right. Hey, like I saw that and I was like, Holy shit. Like, congratulations. Um, right. I was like, I could tell you were on your way there when she started, like we all kind of started to burn out in Vegas after a while. Um, it's that same set list all the time. And I mean, playing in Vegas, it's rough. I mean, it's 10 p.m. to 3 o'clock in the morning. That's, that's tough. That's, so that's it's, yeah, it's really rough. And if it's not, like, sometimes there'd be a crowd and sometimes there wouldn't be. And so it was just really hard to keep the energy going, trying to be this dance band um, around the time that 
Vegas was switching into the more DJ high, um, like more money was, it was kind of becoming like more fancy yeah. in Vegas. And like a lot of places just weren't wanting the live band thing anymore. They wanted DJs. They wanted the party. They've got $20 shots of whatever. And you're like, Ooh. Um, so yeah, we all kind of burned out around, <laughs> around about, I think it's like three, you get to about three, three and a half years of doing that. And everyone around that time is like, never mind, I'm done. <laughs> That's kind of how Austin was getting too. Um, my, my first stint before I moved to New Orleans, cause we moved back after that. Mm-hmm. But, um, my first stint, I was in a country band. We played a lot, kind of on the outskirts. But whenever we played in Austin, um, it was usually Sixth Street, and that only lasted for about a year. And then after that, completely switched to DJs all the time. Like nobody wanted a live band, or if you were a live band, um, it was weeknights. They wouldn't do weekends, mm-hmm. and uh, you had to be done by midnight because the high rises started complaining. Interesting. Yeah, started complaining about noise, which, huh. like, you moved to Austin, Texas, the, the live music capital of the world. Right. And then you're mad that there's live music. <laughs> that blows my mind. Like, I, because I haven't really been to Austin before. Um, I know I drove through it when I was moving. So mm-hmm. I stayed for like one night, went to Sixth. Um, there's actually a piano bar on Sixth Street. I've been there. It's awesome. So, yeah, that's a cool one. Um, so I'm just surprised to see like if that's like there's really no other live things happening there that's kind of unfortunate because i i guess in my head i still pictured it being kind of like not quite honky-tonk like nashville but like live bands and some good bluegrass or you know good texas music it was a, it was a ton of blues like that that was right up my alley i was like a yeah. metal guy and a blues guy right so going out to just open mic nights and jams and all that shit was awesome when i moved there and then like mm-hmm. 2014 hit and mm. none of that was there anymore it was the weirdest thing that is weird huh sucks i know life is weird cities are weird <laughs> i wonder what the next yeah. big like music city is gonna be i wonder you know it's you know especially now that i've moved and like seen a few different ones it's been interesting like there's definitely times i'm like okay should i really all done that i'm like yeah because i you know you get the experience and you see it and you learn um, because I noticed too, even with Nashville, like, I think that it's still becoming a, it's still a pretty big hub, but it's changing too. Like, even because like I said, like they're brought like lower Broadway. When I moved there, it was, you know, still had some of the honky tonks and stuff, but I started to notice, especially because I had just come from New Orleans. I was like, Hey, this is turning into bourbon street. And that's not a good thing. No. Like there's bachelorette parties everywhere and they're trashing the street. Like that was something in New Orleans that bothered me. I was like, people just go to get drunk and they don't care about the city that they're in destroying it, which I mean, granted I was in my twenties, I probably did the same thing, you know, no judgment there, but like if the city can't say, Hey, like they were talking about blocking lower Broadway to cars, like just walkable. And I was like, Oh, please don't Don't do that. that. Like that's going to, that's going to be the end that's going to be the end of it, you know? Uh, you so at least a, I know they don't have DJs oh, there yet, but they're not paying their musicians very well either. Yeah. I don't think Nashville will ever get to a place where they're, they're just doing DJs. Like that's, that's one city. I don't, I don't, I don't think that would happen. Yeah. I think they're going to hold pretty strong on the live 
live bands. I think the style of the live bands will change a little bit, but it's still, I mean, I'm hoping it'll still hold on to it's very like, it is still country Mecca. It, it is where, you know, it's central to the entire like Midwest, the South and the plains. Like it's so it's central to everybody there. So I'm sure as long as that's the case, people will keep going. Another random question, just shifting gears. Did yeah. I see you went to Florida State? I did. Ah, Very my briefly. My fiance is from Tallahassee, so that's why I asked. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I kind of skip over that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what, was, uh, what, what was your thoughts on Tallahassee? I did not enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. Just... Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I went... And that's probably one thing I wish I wasn't like such a stubborn brat when I was 18. Um, my mom did not want me going to California, to Los Angeles when I was 18. I wanted to go to MI. I had already gone to like three of their summer shop programs. Like I was like, mom, I'm going, I want to go. That's what I want to do. And my mom was not super happy about that. A being 18 to LA, which now I'm like, that probably would have been it. Like, I'm glad that I did not go straight out of high school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my mom was like, I want you to do like get a real degree first, like go to school. And because I was a good student. So I think she was a little bit like, why do you want to do music? Like you're a good student. I was like, okay. And so I should have gone to an in-state school and not wasted out-of-state tuition. But Florida State actually had a good music program mm-hmm. and they had a commercial music program, which I was like, you know, if I'm going to have to go to like, this college before I can go to LA, then I want to go somewhere that has commercial music. And when I got there, I auditioned. The problem with their program setup is you have to audition classically and do two years of classical juries before you can even apply as a junior to the commercial music program. And at the time that was still a very new thing for a lot of music colleges to have. Like it was just kind of like MI and Berkeley and Tisch School of the Arts were the only ones that were really doing commercialized studies. So in their minds, I'm sure that made sense. But to me, I was like, well, I wanna do commercial music and yes, I can play classically but they are not even remotely related to each other as far as careers are concerned. So, I, you know, had to do the whole classical jury and ended up not getting in freshman year. So I went anyways, cause like, well, I already applied. I'm already going, I got accepted to the school, just not into the music school. So I went anyways and I was like, oh, I'll just sign up for all the um, electives. They had a commercial music, like academic group, like a after school, I don't know what you call it. What is it? Mm-hmm. A little extra group, not. Yeah. The extracurricular you know, thing yeah. yeah something like and um so i was like i'll join that i'll meet the professors like i'll do everything right to like get in the second time and so when i went the second time they, they noticed that they're like oh like you've been in these classes met with these teachers i was like they helped me pick the songs for the audition and like i want to do commercial music and i kind of like explained to them i was like you know commercial music and recording is very different than classical studies So again, like I was good and I could play classical, but I, you know, I definitely was not someone who could go into an orchestra. Like that was not my career path. And I mean, they were just brutal. Like said, I picked songs that were too popular 
and said I had, I played, you know, when you're playing piano, you're supposed to have your hands kind of like this. And I, sometimes I get nervous and I have my pinky up and they docked <laughs> points for that. Um, I mean, it was just outrageous. So I, when I didn't get in the second time, like going into sophomore year, I told my mom, I was like, you know, I was here kind of for her and to like thinking I still needed a college degree, just, you know, growing up in that kind of environment, it's still very like, you know, oh, you don't have a degree, you know, just that kind of environment. So I thought I had to do it. And I was like, I'm just really unhappy. You know, I'm not getting into the music school. I'm getting a business degree instead, which is fine, but it's not what I want. Um, you know, I tried to do the whole sorority thing because my mom and my sister did. And that was just a totally awful experience. And I was like, I'm just ready to go. I'm, I'm done. I'm going to get my associate and peace out. And that's what I did. Well, it seemed to have worked out for you. So that's a good yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's, like I said, I'm still I'm glad I did it. That's probably the one place I wish that I had maybe gone to like UGA or somewhere local instead. Um, just as far as financially, I was a little bit like, I didn't understand all of that stuff yet. And I'm like, man, I wasted like $40,000. None of us did. None of us yeah. understood that. That was, yeah. Yeah. So looking back, I'm like, yeah, but I do think now it probably was, it ended up working out way it needed to. And it was, my mom was probably right that I should not have been in LA at 18. So there's that. See, I, I disagree with that. Not not necessarily in your case. I'm just saying in general, when people say you're not old enough at 18 to go there to, yeah. to like LA or New York or where have you, I feel like that's a good age to go because you're still naive enough to fuck up. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like, guess. And, yeah. and you're not, you're not like, like if you go at 30, granted 30 is not old, but 30 is different than 18. Right. And if you right. fuck up at 30, there's much bigger ramifications for that than if you're 18, you know? True. Yeah. And I guess I get that. And I think that's why at some point I told my mom, like, Hey, if I'm going to go to LA, I need to go now. I don't want to waste my time and move there. You know, even like 23, I thought I was like, I'm going to miss my chance. You know, Disney doesn't hire if you're younger than 25 or older than 25, you know, um, even their touring bands, which I discovered. And you were trying to do the Disney thing. Well, I just, I did an audition for a Disney artist and oh, got you they didn't really specify but it became very clear that if you were over 25 no i was like hmm interesting um but yeah like i guess i probably would have been fine and i you know now i'm like yeah i could have i think 18 is fine for some people um i had never really been out like my town was small very small town environment and i think i needed a couple years to blow off some steam and like figure out the world in a little bit more enclosed community. That's fair. If I'm explaining uh, a place where I could go and like figure out my like partying, you know, that makes sense. and not be in Los Angeles where that could potentially turn into something <laughs> a lot worse. And you could do much worse than Florida state to party. Let me just put it yeah. that way. <laughs> so I think there is that, you know, at least as far as learning, that social aspect but I, I knew pretty quickly when I moved to Florida State that I was like this is not the place for me I have a couple friends that I stay in touch with but literally that's it like two people I, I, I hear you on that <laughs> I, I went to New Mexico State and it's uh, about a half hour away from the border in Mexico 
oh um Juarez. so yeah yeah that was a very popular place for me to go when i was there mm-hmm. uh because that, that was before Juarez got really dangerous yeah um yeah we used to go there and you know ten dollar drinks so you drown <laughs> oh god and unfortunately we would drive home too which yeah, yeah that's that the was, college thing there. yeah not not a not very good decisions they yeah. didn't have uber or lyft then though that's kind of no that's been a pretty saving grace <laughs> yeah I, I remember uber got to la the week that i moved from la mm. was, so i didn't get to take one and then i no. moved to austin and austin didn't have it for like a year and a half yeah wild. yeah i remember when it came up like people were like have you heard of this new thing it's like a ride share and like that way because i was living in hollywood and it wasn't it was like a mile to like Coenga and i would walk down to bars and stuff but that mile is really shady at two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. um so i remember my friends being like have you downloaded this app like it's a car and it was like five bucks at that time like super convenient um so i remember that transition and being like wow i'm like i could park my car and not move it <laughs> for days i'll just take a lift everywhere what uh where did you what part of hollywood you live in what like where about i should say um when i first moved i lived in studio city and then i moved to franklin and whitley okay um which was a we've discovered was not a safe street to live on i mean not a lot of hollywood is safe anyways but it was not safe so we um after that i moved to like highland like las palmas okay street like right just south of um was i south of sunset yeah, I think it was South yeah, Sunset. South. Yeah, just South. And then um, finally ended up behind In and Out Burger. Oh, nice. So you, got all like like, that. you got all like the <laughs> 3 a.m. Friday night traffic. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But I was like, the other side, like the street I could get to was La Brea. So I could go around uh, um, all the craziness part. I was like right on the edge of Hollywood and West Hollywood, which yeah. I liked because it was just far enough. Like we still got some crazy things but it wasn't as crazy as the other like east hollywood and i could still walk to runyon but i didn't have the west la zip code for higher rent see i i lived in the uh more eastern part of hollywood i lived like western and like right in between sunset and hollywood yeah okay Um, kind of by that ralph's that was there i don't know if you know but like griffith park is right up there Mm mm-hmm Dude, that neighborhood was so shady. Oh yeah. my god! Like That's helicopters why I didn't move over there. Yeah, helicopters at like two in the morning were very common on my street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we looked at a couple apartments over there, but I knew I was like, eh, this this side of Hollywood is not great. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. I I was like six three, two eighty. Even I was like, oh, how about that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, little, which always surprised me because like Pantages is over there yeah and I was like this isn't like the theater and I was like this isn't the worst part of all we so we had this little bar that was attached to a super eight that me and my old neighbor used to go to and uh it was called like the white horse or something like that but it was raised it was actually raised owned by this Russian couple that was clearly like that was a front for something oh no but the Russian lady loved me and my neighbor for whatever yeah. reason she just like loved me and him so whenever we'd go in she would like give us hot dogs for free and popcorn then like she'd be like we got this new whiskey and you you boys try it you boys try it try it try it drink more drink more (laughs) walk home drink more yeah 
that was like some of my favorite times there and it had nothing to do yeah. with my <laughs> right I do I will say that like uh, some neighborhoods when you live in the hood there is an aspect of it of community that doesn't exist in non-hood neighborhoods a hundred percent where it's like it might be really shady but like everybody is watching out all the time so they know like you know your neighbors and you know when like shit's about to go down and you know when people aren't supposed to be there yeah so there are things to be said i was like you know i i like living in the middle maybe like not super shady but i you know not the nice areas of town anymore because i'm like i like the community that exists in the hood yeah i had a, I had a friend that lived in a really nice part of hollywood which yeah they exist i guess um mm-hmm. but he lived in a really nice part and it was like too clean almost yeah <laughs> like <laughs> I felt like I was like way out of place there. Like what the, no. Yeah, like what is this? This is not. (laughs) I need need to have some graffiti for me to feel comfortable, okay? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I get that. I don't know if it's just from living in that kind of area before. Like now if I go places, I'm like, if it's too nice, do I belong here? Like, (laughs) can I do this? (laughs) Well, believe it or not, we're actually at an hour. Um, That kind of flew by. Yeah, it did. It was it was awesome talking to you. I'm so happy you wanted to uh, to be on. I'm happy we got to actually talk and not just DM. So yeah, not like the random internet. Hey, hi, how's it going? No, this was yeah, awesome. Yeah. Like I just had an hour flew by. That was great. I know this was this was <laughs> awesome. I would I would love to have you on again if you're up for it. Sure, um, of course. Before we disconnect, do you want to tell people where they can find your music, you online, your social media, anything like that? Sure. Yeah, like I said, um, all of my original music is under my dear Wendy. So mydearwendy.com, Instagram, mydearwendy. Um, I'm on TikTok, but I don't really use it. But it's also mydearwendy and Spotify and all of the um, music streaming services will be under mydearwendy. And if, if you do want to check out her music, I highly recommend it. Like Thank you. your song, 63 Steps. I love that song. Thank you. Yeah, love I guess that. I was exactly a year ago now that I released it. Was it really a year ago? Yeah, it's, I can't really believe that, but yeah. <laughs> well, Amanda, thank you again so much for being on. Love to thank have you. you on again. And Cool. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. And thank you everyone for listening. <laughs>